0: This podcast contains general health information and shouldn't be relied on as medical advice. Information is current at the time of recording. If you have any health concerns, speak to your doctor. HCF doesn't endorse any statements or opinions made during the podcast. HCF acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and the Gumbangira Nation. We pay respects to their elders past and present. Hello, I'm Alison Bray-Daddo. Welcome to episode four of Menopause Matters. I wrote a book about menopause and part of the reason I wrote it was to get the conversation around menopause on the table. The more I asked women, the less I realized that they knew about it as well. And I knew that we needed to discover more about what this means for us. The more women know about what to expect, the more prepared they can be. And in this series, we're doing just that, talking to experts about how to manage what can be a fantastic chapter in a woman's life, and I said fantastic, it's true. Given that menopause often affects women when they are really hitting their stride professionally, we're beginning to see more workplaces developing strategies and policies to support women entering and during menopause. Who would have thought that even five or ten years ago that the discussion of menopause in the workplace would even happen? I'm thrilled to hear more companies opening up support for women and reducing the shame and stigma that women have felt for years about hot flushes in the boardroom, brain fog in Zoom meetings, and a screaming fit at the photocopier. Joining me today is Thea O'Connor, who has over 20 years experience as a wellness and productivity advisor, and she's also the founder of Menopause at Work that is not a band name (laughs) it may sound familiar she offers training to workplaces and managers around menopause and menstrual well-being runs strategy workshops for businesses to help shape their menopause policy and helped make Queensland Teachers' Union the first workplace in Australia to take a comprehensive organisation approach to becoming menopause-friendly. Now, Thea, four years ago, you started working on helping workplaces to become menopause-friendly. What led you to this?
1: I can tell you, Alison, it actually hadn't been part of my business plan before that, what led to that was, surprise, surprise, my own experience of going through menopause. I didn't have severe symptoms, but they're enough to kind of put me off my game. They were mainly brain fog, problems with short-term memory, and just not feeling motivated like I used to be. And at that stage, even, can you believe it, even four years ago, information on brain fog as a common symptom of menopause, I could barely find any information at all. I'd believe so it. I f- I'd believe that. Yeah, it's crazy. I know. Rhythm. And I've got two degrees in health and I've been focused on women's health for 30 years now. And I did not know that this is a normal and actually temporary part of the menopause Mm -hmm. transition. So, But at the time, I started to freak out and I was freaking out about my employability because a lot of my work involves things like talking to you where you need a bit of fluency and writing articles. But as I was freaking out, I caught myself and I thought, wait a minute, how are all those other women out there? about my age, I was 53 at the time, 57 now, holding down, you know, often even more demanding jobs than me. How are they going? And I realised I hadn't heard a thing, not a squeak. Not a whisper, not from my three older sisters, not from my mom, not from my older female business mentors. And that's when I realized I'd stumbled across a massive taboo. I then went out and interviewed many other Australian working women because I wanted to know their experience. Symptoms really diverse, but the standout themes were secrecy, silence, and fear of being stigmatized. And I thought... For heaven's sake, this was at the end of 2018. We've got all these other items on our workplace well-being agendas, ageism, disability, gender transition, but this thing that's affecting half the population, no one is talking about it. So then I just realised, well, something needs to change. Someone needs to do something. And if I can't talk about it, and my whole focus is workplace well-being And I'm self-employed. My boss, she's quite understanding. (laughs) How could I I expect other people to? So that's what I just went on and developed some services based on what women have said they wanted in the workplace. Oh, thank heavens for you.
0: I I can hear (laughs) all the women who are at work cheering you on saying, yes, finally, finally, someone is paying attention to me in the workforce because we have had to just soldier on and battle on. And it's so challenging. And as you say, you know, I felt the exact same way that I have two older sisters and a mum. They all went through menopause. No one told Mm. me a thing about it. It's just a fascinating thing that we've kept it so secret for so long. And I understand the reticence that we've been left to our own devices in dealing with our symptoms in some ways. And you add the shame that women often feel about the fact that they're in menopause. And we've got literally like the elephant in the boardroom. So what are some of the steps to make a workplace
1: menopause-friendly? And of course, every workplace is different. So every workplace might end up with a different approach. Well, the first most basic step is actually normalising the conversation, actually naming it, actually saying the word itself. Right. Um, I've got some lovely colleagues in the UK who've been very supportive. And when the University of Leicester first launched its menopause policy, they're probably one of the first organisations um, to do that in recent times. What they got their staff to do, including the Chancellor, was to say menopause out loud, three times a day. <laughs> menopause,
0: menopause, menopause. Africa dabra. It's, it's like the magic word. It's like it's yeah. like Harry Potter, the, the man who shall not be named. It's like, finally, we're talking about menopause.
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I often include that in my manager training for a bit of fun. And so there's normalizing the conversation, but leadership support's really important. You know, with any of these issues, if you're not seeing the people at the top, get behind it. You don't know if it's safe to raise it. Engaging staff, what do they think? What do they want to see? So you can that through surveys or focus groups or even steering groups. I think manager training is at the heart of being menopause friendly because while it's all well and good to say, yes, women need to speak up and you can, but if they're not confident that their managers are equipped, they're probably not going to. But also educating all staff just on that simple question, why? Why are we talking about menopause at work? Just so that people understand the business case um, essentially. Um, And then another critical ingredient is the organisation agreeing on some of the simple adjustments or accommodations that can be made to help women uh, manage their symptoms. And then just trying to embed it as much as you can so that once the menopause enthusiast moves on, that there's something left behind. And that's where policies can be helpful. You can embed it into things like mental health training, for example, or your flexible leave policy, or even things like fatigue management. So there's some of the key ingredients, and each of those, of course, will look a little bit different depending on the workplace environment. What would accommodating menopause in the workplace look like?
0: Is it having a four-day week? Is it working from home full-time? Is it having, as you say, you know,
1: mental health breaks? So again, that will vary according to the nature of the work and the physical environment. Something This is something that a manager and a woman can sit down and work out together, but it's really simple things like temperature control When if the air conditioning is oh, no good, right. you can get those little USB fans yeah, you know, at your desk yeah, yeah, yeah. or you can even get battery-operated fans around your neck, which is helpful for outdoor workers. It could be a change in uniforms. I was just doing a training yesterday, actually, with National Park Rangers, and they acknowledged, yeah, the women still have to wear these incredibly non-breathable fabrics. Um, That's slightly an expensive adjustment, whereas other ones are quite cheap. You know, flexible work practices plus regular breaks, those two things go such a long way to uh, make adjustments to a whole range of symptoms, whether it's insomnia or hot flushes or just recomposing yourself if you've become very emotional. But it can be as simple as regular breaks, perhaps noise cancelling headphones to help with concentration if you're working in a really busy environment. It could even in some organisations be, you know, sanctioning the power nap as a healthy way of restoring energy if fatigue is a real problem. Very few of them are remarkable or difficult. They're often quite simple tweaks and something that they can work out together. It could be if people are working in the office, like the good old days, it could be just can I have my desk a bit closer to the toilet? Because, you know, if she needs to wee a lot or change her sanitary pads a lot, you don't want to be walking past Jack and John 10 times a day. In that way, it can be simple and you can work it out together. But they're just a few examples. Mm, I love the idea of the power nap room. Yes. <laughs>
0: I'd like that at every work workplace. Oh, me too. You know, how? do we talk to, this is the burning question, our male managers and bosses about menopause, perimenopause? Because this may very well be the first time a male has even heard the word. And we're certainly not here to give our fellows a hard time about not knowing about menopause, though I would love to be a fly in the wall when they might be learning about (laughs) what a hot flush is. (laughs) or loss of libido, you know, I know what my husband's (laughs) face looked like.
1: And we don't know half the time what's happening for ourselves. So let's drop that expectation that they should know yep. they're not going to. So it's going to take us in a very, you know, matter of fact, no big deal kind of way, just explaining what we're experiencing and also be really practical. But I think it's also, say, in the workplace context, first of all, talking about it as a business or a workplace issue. It's not just a woman's personal health issue. And you can talk about the legal obligation or the social responsibility, whatever suits you. Talk about it that way. And also talk about their ability to manage females, which most of them are going to do at some point in their lives, or even just work with females. This is an important workplace capability that they do need to develop. Because the role of managers is to help people do their work and do it to the best of their ability and remove any barriers. Men have women in their lives. And in some of the sessions that I've run, men are really keen to understand what is happening for their wife and will often take information home. So I've actually learned to drop all my gendered assumptions about who's going to be receptive and who's not. And in fact, the very first training I ever did in Australia, it was with Wesley Mission Queens so got to give them a bit of a shout out. The person who opened the door was a very lovely senior male HR practitioner. So allow a bit of room for discomfort. Of course, there's going to be discomfort because we have. And hold your head high and take it in your stride. That's basically been my approach. And also in my training, I really emphasize you do not have to be politically correct in this training. There's so much correctness in the workplace. People don't say what they think because they think they're going to lose their jobs. You know, I like to create space. Well, let's out some of the negative stereotypes and the stigma, let's have a really good look at it, see where it's come from, and then we can choose if we want to let it continue to influence our attitudes and beliefs. Change is happening slowly, but it's great that we're at least having the conversation yeah. rather than let those horrible attitudes just be kind of murmuring away in the background unconsciously and influencing the way we think about midlife women.
0: Now that the floodgates is somewhat opening with menopause, what I have found too is um, the more I talk to women about menopause, they actually really do want to talk about it. Totally. The idea that it has been this taboo thing and we've kept it secret as soon as you open that door, (laughs) it's like everyone wants to tell you their story. Everyone wants to talk about it, which I'm thrilled about. But how easy is it to get women to share their experiences now? Have you found that there's still been reticence and, and what is that?
1: Is it still due to that sort of the history and the lack of? I'll focus mainly on my experience within workplaces Typically, when a workplace runs a webinar, for example, for the first time on menopause, and if they've got a fair few female staff, the typical response is overwhelming. You know, they get more people to this webinar than they have in ages. That's really positive. In terms of them, women sharing their experience versus just me, and I'll always put out, I say, "Look, have you got someone in your organisation who's willing to speak up because that will help normalise the conversation more than me talking? And invariably, there always is someone who feels pretty committed to change, and so that's fantastic. But there's always a subgroup who may not have even wanted the webinar in the first place, either because they feel it's a bit too invasive of their personal boundaries or they're worried it's going to reinforce, negative stereotypes of older women. So they're an important group to be catered for. And that's why in my manager training, I really emphasize it is not your role to diagnose. It's up to the woman to disclose if she wants to. There are so many untold stories that when you open the gate, they all come flooding in. And I think we're still at that that very starting point. Let's create space for women just to say how it is for them. What's their experience?
0: So the women that are feeling reticent. Do you think they're worried about that they're going to be discriminated against, that they've been lumped into this, oh, you're an older woman with brain fog, we can't give you as much work or we can't rely on you? Is that part of what they're thinking?
1: Yes, it is. And in my interviews, I said, look, what's at that bottom of that fear of speaking up? And I remember one woman saying, it's like, basically, we fear that we would lose our jobs or that we would be perceived as not fit for work. And this is particularly so in male-dominated cultures. So, for example, I was doing a workshop with some female leaders in a law firm not long ago, and they just said, there is no way that they would talk about this with their male colleagues. They feel like they've had to work so hard to be given equal work you know, up until this point. There is no way that they feel they're going to risk that. So it does depend on the culture. And yes, that is the underlying fear. And I said, look, I totally get that. But if you are being discriminated against because of menopause, that's actually illegal. So again, let's bring it out.
0: I remember talking to a surgeon, a highly regarded surgeon about menopause and the challenges that she was going through physically, because you can imagine she's got to be in surgery. She's got to be gown, cap, gloves, everything. And she's in hot flush mode and she's got to continue, you know, you can't sort of exit the room with scalpel in hand while you've got someone on the table. But the more women have spoken about, the more likely they are to share, particularly amongst women, their feelings, their experiences. You know, if there's a woman that's not wanting to share or feeling discriminated against, can we put a role in for women that might actually have like a
1: special team member that they could go talk to that could be the go-between? There are many possible forms of communication and sometimes that might look like, okay, I don't feel comfortable talking to my manager, but maybe someone within the HR team has been skilled up and that's important. They need to be skilled up who they could go to. Employees can usually access an EAP service, an you know, employee assistant program, which is confidential counselling but I think you're raising a good point. You don't want to have to rely on an employee having a good relationship with their manager in order to get support. So having some other key people in the organisation who people know they can go to is a really great idea. Because we are seeing women at the top of their game feeling like they've got to leave their work because they don't feel like they're going to get the support and or go for those promotions that they may want to. The lack of support can be one reason. Another thing that happens, though, is often, you know, when women are really peaking in their career, and I've just spoken to two women recently who had huge, you know, high-flying jobs, working 100 hours a week, going 100 miles an hour they started to notice some changes you know to the memory for example and emotional volatility but did not stop for one moment to consider what might be going on so they kept pushing on pushing on pushing on to the point where they both had incidents where their behavior was really inappropriate and actually made their keeping their jobs untenable and they felt they had to resign and in retrospect their big lesson is you have to listen to your body And this is our responsibility as women. You know, the push-push model that many of, of us have been brought up in? Sorry, it backfires at menopause. You can get away with it until menopause. Menopause just says, no way. You're not to treat me like this anymore. So our part in this is not to try and be like men and to listen for those changes and to try and adjust or get health support as soon as possible. Thea, no truer words are spoken.
0: (laughs) That's exactly what happened to me. Like exactly. I had pushed and pushed and pushed. And it is true. You just, there's a wall that just, you cannot get over. I just was like, I hit my wall and I went, nope, this is where healthcare, this is where self-care has to come in. And I was grateful for it in the end. So I'm so much easier and kinder with myself. Yeah. Can women also be the
1: ones to stop the conversation or changes in the workplace? Absolutely. I know in one organisation where it was the possibility of doing something about menopause was raised and the female CEO said, oh, that's just an excuse for poor performance. Oh no. So I think, I don't know what was going on for her, Yeah. but maybe she probably didn't have symptoms. So if you're one of those 20% who don't have symptoms, it could be hard to understand what it might be like for the other 20% who have severe symptoms so, Thea, are there many statistics on how many companies have
0: menopause policies in Australia?
1: I haven't got kind of a national tally. I do know back in, I think it was 2014, the Australian Human Resources Institute ran a survey on you know how many workplaces are doing something, perhaps whether offering support or education, and that was two, 2% back in 2014. I started working in this space about 2018 initially there were a lot of closed doors five people turning up to my webinars, you know, national webinars for the Human Resources Institute, five HR practitioners turning up. But in the last 12, 18 months, there's been a real tipping point. And I now get the incoming calls. It's not just me knocking on doors. So there's definitely been a tipping point. So there are organisations like the Victorian Women's Trust or Modibodi, IPG Media Brands, just to name a few who've got some policies in place. And I'm just continuing to hear about more and more. And do you know, how is Australia
0: comparing with the rest of the world?
1: The people who I've been looking to as pretty much world leaders, to the best of my knowledge, is the UK. In 2017, some academics were commissioned to write a report on the economic impact of the menopause transition, and that really helped put menopause on the map. So they now have a national menopause-friendly accreditation system for workplaces. So that's where they have to demonstrate that they're achieving certain standards. It's been talked about a lot in Parliament House and they've had hundreds, thousands of organisations become menopause-friendly. I reckon we're about four to five years behind them. I think things are going to accelerate from this conversation that we're having today, Alison. I think things are going to (laughs) Really pick up. Yeah. And like with any other issues, there'll be those that do the tick box, you know, have the one webinar and write a policy. And there'll be those who take a more sophisticated approach and consider how can we really embed this and make it part of our culture that it's totally fine to talk about.
0: The UK and the workplaces getting certified as more menopause friendly.
1: What would that look like? And is it also about cultural change? It's always about cultural change, which, as you know, is a big ongoing piece of work. Yeah. But the main areas that they use to accredit people would be, do they have some kind of policy or written guidance? Because that's a very clear statement that, yes, we're going to support people. They have criteria around how are you engaging staff, you know, so they have a say and they are kept interested in this. Manager training and staff education is also another criteria Providing ongoing support and connection. So some people or organisations have things called menopause cafes, for example, where people come together and chat about menopause, or that could be as simple as just setting up a thread on Teams or Slack where people can talk about menopause. So there's that support option. And importantly, they also include a criteria around, is this embedded so that it's going to last? So they're in very general terms, the criteria they use to accredit workplaces.
0: I believe that a study was done and one of the key findings staying with the UK here was the actual economic impact. And that's a really interesting thing that I'd never thought about. So do you have a sense of what the
1: situation is here economically? Here in Australia, we had some rather convenient modelling that was done just earlier this year. And this was based on the statistic that's been found both in Australia and the UK, that 10% of women quit due to menopause symptoms and making it feel like work's untenable. And they looked at that 10% And they estimated that $15 billion was not going into the pockets of women in terms of salary or superannuation because they were retiring on average about seven years earlier than what they had planned. So that's a big cost to the individual woman. What I'd love to see More, though, researched is assessing the savings that are made to workplaces by putting supports in place. Right. You know, if you can prevent some of your most talented staff walking out the door, how much is that going to save you? And I think those little dollar signs would be nice in a business case to present. And that often catches the attention, doesn't it, if it comes down to money? (laughs) Well, it helps that kind of analytical part of the brain. I mean, when I sell it to workplaces, I try to include appeal to the heart, you tell a story, but also appeal to their business minds. And that's where that kind of modelling could definitely help. What about places like Japan
0: and women going through menopause there? They have quite a different perception of menopause over there, right?
1: I'm not going to pretend to be a cultural buff on this, but by the way, if anyone does want to really delve into it, there's an amazing book called, I think it's Slow Moon Rising, and it's this huge book written by a historian, a professor in the UK, can't remember her name at the moment, and she goes into the science and the history and culture around menopause, and it's so fascinating. But in it, she says one of the words that are associated with menopause, it's not a direct translation, is konenki, and I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. And Konenki actually means renewal. And it's just a beautiful reminder that if we are supported and if we can consciously embrace the transition and everything it brings up, it can actually clear out stuff that no longer serves us. It's a new beginning, it's not only an ending. And I think we women are craving for a new paradigm around menopause. All we hear are the scary list of symptoms. We don't get that bigger picture perspective that like puberty, it's taking us into a next important life stage, deeper into our authority, mentorship and leadership. And I think it's really important that we keep communicating that bigger picture perspective. Otherwise, women are just horrified and terrified of of menopause, which doesn't help
0: my husband, my dad, my husband's friends all have said that they had no idea about menopause and how it can affect women. How important, this is almost a rhetorical
1: question, Thea,
0: how important is it to be educating and including men in
1: this area? I just think it's incredibly important because otherwise Everyone's blindsided by the symptoms, not just the woman, but the man. And it can bring around a fair amount of grief and loss even in relationships because it can then make you go further apart. But I think the most important reason for bringing everyone into the conversation, not just menopause or women, is otherwise we're living under this veil of secrecy. And in the workplace, do you know what it's like trying to keep menopause a secret and trying to hide the symptoms? It's impossible. It's ridiculous. It's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's incredibly stressful. And for any listeners who perhaps haven't had menopausal symptoms or never will, think about what would it be like to every day, perhaps during hay fever season, trying to suppress a sneeze. You know, you're sitting there in a meeting, and you can feel the sneeze coming on. There is nothing you can do about it. You know, you're going to look a bit unsightly when it happens but you're spending all this time fearing it, feeling incredibly embarrassed, et cetera, et cetera. It's an enormous waste of time and energy. The silence increases women's stress, which just makes symptoms worse. So that's why, you know, man, woman, young, old, whatever the gender, we've got to stop this secrecy and silence and feeling like we have to hide things because that's what's really hurting us the most, I think. I agree. It can
0: already be a stressful time, maybe not for everyone, but to then be hiding it, feeling embarrassed about it, just adds to a list that we just don't need to deal with. That we don't need, exactly. What other suggestions would you give women who are in the workplace and they need to communicate or share with their colleagues to sort of help smooth that transition? Have you got any language around that or
1: other suggestions? It is always going to be a woman's choice whether she brings it up or not. We're not saying here that everyone must talk about it, so that's important. And they could even use a bit of a decisional balance framework, thinking about the pros and cons. But if you're someone where your symptoms are affecting your work and maybe you can see it is affecting your performance and you're getting really stressed by trying to hide it, there are three good reasons that talking about it might be a good idea. If you're in a workplace where there has been no menopause training, which is probably the majority, just bear in mind your manager probably hasn't talked about this before. So give them a bit of information and can help people with some information there. But there's a great website also created by Monash University. I think it's called Changing Minds about changing bodies. And there's some great little tip sheets and pro forma. So prepare your manager. When you do have a conversation, just say it's about health because it is a health issue. This is what I'm noticing and I'd like to explore some adjustments. And you just hold your head high, no big deal, matter of fact, because that will help the other person feel comfortable. You just also have to try to the best of your ability to prioritize your well-being like never before because you can't get away with it anymore, whether it's the increased exercise that you need to do or look at your diet. So that's really important. If you're in situations where you are, are confronted with some embarrassing scenarios like hot flushes during a meeting or you're worried about forgetting things plan ahead what are you going to do if that happens because just living in fear of it happening it's just going to freak you out even it more. does creates more stress that's right So you plan, what am I going to say or do if I have a whopping hot flush just when I don't want to? And it could be you call a break. You say, okay, everyone, we're going to have a five-minute brain break, and that gives you a moment. It could be you make sure you've got your ice-cold water there. You make sure beforehand you've got your fan there doesn't matter what it is, but just plan what you're going to do and do whatever you can to support yourself. But planning, I think it's really important and ask for what you need. So for example, my short-term memory is better since I got through my really foggy part, but it's still not the same as it was 10 years ago. And that's not just menopause, by the way, that's aging as well. So I recruit a second brain whenever I can. I get someone else on the call to say, can you press the record button and start and stop? Because once I get on a roll, I forget. And no one turns a hair, you know, when you ask these simple things. I've learned to adjust the way that I work. I recruit a second brain. So I had to let the pride go and just put in place those simple little supports which no one else turns a hair at. And once I feel supported, I think, okay, I'm giving myself the best possible chance here to do a great job. So we've talked about
0: changes in the workplace? What can be done? What if I don't work in an office and my workplace can't or even won't accommodate my needs? What can
1: I do then? What are my options? Yeah, good question. Depends how much energy you've got to take this on, I guess. But I would probably go to my doctor and I'd perhaps ask my doctor to write something for me that I could take back to the workplace. Say, not these are the symptoms and these are the kinds of adjustments that would be helpful. You could then, if you wanted to, you know, take it to a union, if you wanted to push it further. Workplaces do have a legal responsibility to address these kinds of of risks. And so if you feel like your workplace is ignoring them, they need a reminder that the workplace actually needs to do something here. And what about for
0: women, and we all know that this can be a really challenging thing, is to juggle anxiety around menopause. And I mean, we become anxious often, in menopause without even having anything to be anxious about. <laughs> At least I did. That was very heightened for me. What is the impact of that on their cognition?
1: That's such a good question because as well as the hormonal influences on cognition, just anxiety itself impairs cognition even more. So things like we you know, pain, distraction, moods, they're big influences on cognition. So that's why it's really important to try and develop some supportive self-talk around any brain changes that you might be experiencing. So if you're noticing, for example, that you're not remembering things rather than freaking out you know, on the inside and going, oh, goodness, I'm good for nothing, you just kind of just go, this is normal, this is temporary, it'll pass soon, and I will remember that thing in half an hour. But going back to your original question... Self-talk to manic anxiety is so important for cognition because we don't want to make it worse by our own negative self-talk. And a way you can save face around that in the workplace, because I've heard so many women say, look, I used to know every customer's budget, you know, boom, would be my fingertips. So if someone comes up and asks you something and you just haven't got it, you just say, oh, look, I'm just a bit busy right now. I'll get back to you. And you buy yourself a little bit of time. And it will come to you. It just wasn't there in the moment. And I would imagine that there's
0: policies in place already for mental health breaks, which you can slide
1: menopause and connect it with that. And that's actually a really great way that workplaces can start to embed menopause themselves. Like just mention menopause in the mental health policy. Mention menopause as a reason to request flexible work. Mention menopause in the fatigue management policy. Yeah. And that's a lovely way, even if you don't have a menopause policy, at least it's being mentioned in some of those other areas. Say if I've left one
0: job, I'm going into a new job and I want to ask what their menopause policy is. I mean, is it as simple as just asking that or is there any other advice
1: around that that you can give us? Look, I think that would be a great question to ask, and it really does seem a bit dependent on your personality style and also your level of confidence as to how upfront you want to be with it. But I'm just thinking of one woman who was a senior people and culture leader in a really big media firm. She wasn't starting a new job, but the CEO was changing, and she had a new male CEO, and she was in the thick of menopause symptoms. And, you know, what kind of choice do you make there? Some women would choose to hide it because they don't want their CEO to think they're not up for the job. But after a few conversations between ourselves, she decided to speak to him, but she was clever. She did speak about her own experience. She had consulted other female staff who said, yes, this is a good idea. And she linked it to one of their core values and priority areas for action, which was discrimination. You know, so this was an age discrimination issue. You can be clever, I think, about the way that you talk about it. Again, depending on your personality and the workplace culture and what kind of reception you're going to get. But I think the more that you can make it, it's not just about me but about our workforce more broadly and some of those other sticks, if you want to use them, around the legal obligations, then you come up with a good case. I think it's worth putting a bit of time into coming up with a good case. Mm.
0: Have you got any final words, Thea, about how we march towards the meno-friendly
1: workplace? (laughs) An important thing for workplaces to realise is that a menopause-friendly workplace is actually good for everyone. Because if you look at some of the top symptoms that women will say, you know, of all the symptoms, which ones impact the most, it's fatigue, anxiety and worry, insomnia, not being out of focus. And yes, hot flushes there. They're actually the top five symptoms that women say make work more difficult. Take out hot flushes and all the rest of them. The rest of your workforce will be struggling with. Is not burnout and fatigue a top concern? (laughs) You know, across organisations, Australia, and all nationally, yeah, all genders, yeah. It's not mental health, an issue that affects one in five. Insomnia, one in three people don't have a good sleep the night before. Just remember, this is actually going to have a really nice ripple effect for actually all of your organisation, and that way you don't have to be too worried about, oh, we're giving this special attention, you know, to one gender. It's like no, the methods of working and the little changes that are made, they're going to be good for everyone.
0: I love that. I love that. And I would love to know that, you know, as you enter the workforce and you've changed companies or whatever it is, and you and you know that there is a menopause support policy in place, as a woman, that would be of great comfort to me. So yeah. as you say, good for everyone. Thea, thank you so much for your time, for your effort on this, and for being a real cheerleader for menopause in the workplace. We need women like you, and I love the information that you're able to give to everyone. And I hope that we've really been able to clear some things up and support those bosses and those employees to take some steps in the workplace and make everything a lot more meno-friendly. It's been really great. Thank you so much, Thea. Pleasure. That's it for this episode of Menopause Matters. In the next episode, I'll be chatting with Emma Bardwell. She's a nutritionist who specializes in menopause about how your diet can help you manage and reduce menopause symptoms. HCF believes in being a trusted health partner for members, delivering practical tips and real-life stories to help take charge of your health and well-being. For more helpful information about menopause and all things women's health, head to hcf.com.au forward slash women's dash health. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review Menopause Matters. It helps more women get access to great menopause insights. I'm Alison bray Thanks so much for listening. If you're struggling and want to speak to someone now, call Lifeline on 13 11 14.